Hi, my name's Nicole, and I'm a fake fan. Hi, Hi Nicole. Nicole. Hi, my name's Calvin, and I'm a fake fan. Hi, Hi Calvin. Calvin. Hi, my name's Tristan, and I am a fake fan. Hi, Hi Tristan. Tristan. Today, we're kicking off our big m- movie marathon i suppose we're watching the big movies the big honkers that you you get told to watch and uh you know that they're epic and you know they're grand but you just never do it because they're so long today we watched ben hur what year is this tristan 1959 let me uh let's get our let's get our fact checkers looking yep it's 1959 get the interns on it yeah <laughs> make it look like we got interns interns cut that okay. <laughs> yeah yeah joel cut that <laughs> Ben Hur, 1959, from MGM. You weren't around when it showed the MGM logo. The line was a still. The line didn't roar. It was a still. Three and a half hours later, and I'm still pissed about it. This is before lions could roar. They didn't invent that yet. They didn't invent oh, roars. Oh, like how color film wasn't. In- oh, okay. When color came, they could like really get the roars out. Okay, we gotta stop this. <laughs> Um, well, the movie was four hours long. Well, three and a half hours long. Felt like four. Um, there is an intermission in it where you still have 90 minutes of the movie at the end there. So it's like seeing another feature. It was big. It was long. Let's quick get a synopsis of the movie. I mean, how do you boil down four hours? But Tristan, give it a shot. Okay. Picture the life of Jesus, the passion of the Christ. Pick out one guy in the background and make the movie about him instead. That's Ben-Hur. Yeah, yeah. It's a story about Ben-Hur, who becomes a slave. He's a Jewish prince. He's uh, caught up in some geopolitical strife over the Romans conquering Judea. And it so happens that the Roman conquering his specific area is a childhood best friend. And uh, because of this, his best friend essentially betrays him, throws his mom and sister into prison with him. Uh, takes him, he gets sent to the galleys, so that means he's a slave on a row ship, and then through a lot of things becomes the adopted son of a Roman consulate, and then finds his way back to Judea. It's it's a it's a really fun, powerful movie, and yes, it it, it interacts with the uh, the story of Jesus Christ uh, intermittently. In fact, it opens with the Christmas, the Christmas. So let's go around and see who is the fake fan this week. Nicole, are you a fake fan of Ben-Hur? Yes, I am a fake fan of Ben-Hur. I am a fake fan of Ben-Hur. I've lied about seeing Ben-Hur a few times too. When you hang around our crowds, (laughs) you gotta lie about seeing Ben-Hur at a cocktail party. I don't know. Tristan, are you a fake fan of Ben-Hur? Yeah, I am. I've talked a couple times on this podcast about the time in high school when I tried to watch the best picture movies. I didn't get very far. I maybe got like 20 of them. Uh, I have this movie on DVD. I watched it one time, and it's when I worked at a video store, so I didn't really pay attention to it. So yeah, I'm a fake fan of this movie. What were you guys' expectations going into this one? Because, I mean, number one, the the expectations going into a mega epic movie that you know is longer than your casual 90 minutes and is going to have all this... 1950s-esque grand setting. What what kind of expectations did you have walking into this, Nicole? Um, I thought it was going to be real boring. I was really nervous that a lot of things are going to be drawn out. Kind of like uh, <coughs> the big sleep. <laughs> i never seen oh, that. Oh, fuck that. Wait, no. no wait, wait. <coughs> kind of like the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> yeah, Maltese Falcon sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but Ben-Hur didn't. 
Tristan, what, what were your expectations going into this one? Uh, opposite of Nicole, I thought this would be a little more exciting. Uh, all I knew about this movie was the chariot racing, and that doesn't even happen until the second act of the movie. They talk about it a little bit in the first act. I just thought it would be more of like a grand scale epic. I thought there would be more, because this is like Roman times. I thought I was thinking like gladiatorial stuff and things like that. And the first half was more of a drama the second half really picks up for me but yeah i thought it was going to be more of a grander scale epic i thought it was going to be grand but i also thought it was gonna it was probably going to be boring the pacing was probably going to be weird uh, you might have to really pay attention to understand some of the stakes and if you missed a scene you'd just be like oh no this this is boring to me they're just talking and I was really worried about that. I was really worried that in the first few scenes I was going to really trail off and then we're going to be stuck here for four hours. Anytime you see a movie from like this time period and you see the runtime's three hours, I'm immediately like, oh no, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I thought. That's how I felt. Um, but now that we've seen the movie, what do you guys think now? Nicole? I liked it more than I thought it would, but maybe that's because I went in with super low expectations. I really thought it was just going to be so boring. Like, I feel like those movies can just really be a lot of talking. L.T.'s Falcon. (laughs) And, like, you'd really just get lost. But I saw this in the middle of the movie. It was paced out really good. I feel like we were always moving on to a next story or, like, a new location. I never felt like they stuck us in one place for too long. I'd agree. I'd agree. There are are some points which they they have to kind of give you some dialogue that takes a little bit, but... For the most part, I mean, it has the stakes. The stakes are there. You understand them. Everything kind of moves us towards the character's motivation for revenge and all these things. It's it's always ever-present, so you're always kind of on your your toes. I I actually liked that the gladiator scene was at the end because you were really holding on to like, oh, wow. Not a gladiator, the um, chariot race. You were really holding on to like, oh, well, there's there's a big scene in this movie, right? Mm -hmm. And you finally get to it. It's pretty rewarding, actually. I, I really liked it. I really like this movie too. I didn't, I didn't expect to like it this much actually. There were moments that really impressed me, like that chariot race and knowing the time that it was filmed and the restrictions that they had because it's the fifties. I'm like, that was impressive as hell. I loved that whole thing. I really liked the editing in this movie. The pacing was pretty good. I do think the first half was a little slower. I wasn't crazy about any of the plot lines with Edith. I thought that her character was just kind of. Yep, that's who. That's who. You see, you see Esther. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's how much I cared about Esther in this movie. <laughs> if I were to rank this on a scale of one to ten, probably like a six or seven for me. But that 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 chariot scene really blew me away. That was a great like great piece of filmmaking. Was the chariot scene? The editing in this one really stands out to me. I mean, for you to edit down a whole four minute feature and like have this great sense of pacing along with the whole thing and i pers- I, I noticed that it had great editing during the uh the sea battle scene the selection of shots particularly when the general or i don't know what you'd call him but the general is pushing the slaves at to their brink just the the way that that was paced out the energy that it gave you was just enrapturing. I just felt like, wow, this this guy is doing a great job. When people talk about editing in film school, they always talk about like one of two things. They talk about the cut in Lawrence of Arabia, which when I first saw that, I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> or they talk about the cut in 2001 A Space Odyssey with the stick, and I saw that, and I was like, okay, that's fine. You should show like 
the full rowboat scene, I think if you show that whole scene and how it speeds up and how like things get more intense, I think those are like watching a full scene of editing is much more impactful to me than watching one edit, <laughs> just one snip between two shots. So I think I will agree the rowboat scene was also great for me. And also the edit in those two films is more of a screenwriting edit. You can kind of write it to, to have that kind of cut. You know, the bone is thrown in the air and then we cut to the this space station in, in, in space. You can do that in the screen. What you can't really do is write the edit from your writer's table of this rowboat scene. That is all done with these guys looking at strips of film and like deciding where to place these in order and how many frames to put in there. And that is the magic of editing that they were able to do that. That is, that, that is definitely way more powerful, way more important for, for getting anyone interested in editing to like kind of realize the great power that they have sitting in there at their edit room. I, I got to say, I really liked it. And Nicole, I thought, I thought it was really funny when you said that this was like once upon a time in Hollywood, <laughs> because yeah, you've got these like picked out moments like, Oh, that's Pontius Pilate. <laughs> we're going to see him later, right? <laughs> we, were, we were thinking that we're going to see Barabbas, but we didn't actually see Barabbas, unfortunately. You were really hyping that up. You were like, oh, give me Barabbas. <laughs> but they did have, I mean, they had the post-death earthquake. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't expect them to have that one in. Um, just a lot of fun little Bible facts for all of us went to Sunday school. I want to talk about Charlton Eston, because acting, really acting pre-70s can seem super campy. Esther had some campy moments, those things where they say a line and they look away or they hide their face. Charlton Heston was great. Like, the emotion that he showed and how believable it still felt, what, 60 years later? I I really liked his performance in this. And normally I'm, like, I'll like performances from old movies, but I'll realize, that, like, okay, it's a little campier, but that was the style of acting at the time. Charlton Heston, I think, just really blew me away in this. I think he was incredible, even by today's standards. The stakes they wrote for the character and, like, his motivation for revenge and everything that you can kind of see that all play into his, his acting. You can see, like, he's got this boiled anger. I remember seeing that the uh, close-up of him when the general of his ship uh, appears and, um, like, picks him out. Oh, 41, you've got hate in you. That's good. You know, keeps you alive. The cut to him, the wild eyes, the look on his face. I mean, that was like, wow, that's something. I think the best acting performance of him in the, in the movie, though, is um, right before the end of the first act or the first half of the movie where he gets the motivation to exact revenge. Mm -hmm. That is, that was, that was like the, the just the moments where he he's, he's not saying anything. He's just riding through these emotions as he's walking through his abandoned house. That was really something. I was really amazed by that. Nicole, this was a uh, Cinemascope movie. Great colors. Technicolor. Technicolor. What'd you think? I liked it. They definitely take liberty with like the colors, and they're like, make up better. Middle East, make up blue eyes. Let's go. <laughs> you can pick out everyone's hair color. Yeah, there's like a there's like a red-headed ginger. Yeah. With like green 
<laughs> clothes like in the background. All right, I guess. Platinum like <laughs> hydrogen peroxide hair. That's what they used a lot when um mm. in the old days dye hair. It's very like distinct. You can tell. And so I'm like, oh my god, yes. Like very 50s style hair too. Ben Hur's haircut. <laughs> well, like the women's too. Yeah, like yeah. Esther's hair. I was like, oh, that's such a 50s do. Almost a 60s. It's a total like transition haircut. I mean, his mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her Ben-Hur's hair. Mother. Her hair was like. Oh, she just took out her rollers that morning. <laughs> like, there's one person's hair we should talk about. Jesus Christ's hair in this movie. All you see is the back of his head, and it's like, somehow they invented straighteners in 20 AD, and Jesus has, like, the most straight hair with the little curls at the bottom that you always, like, that's the most Jesus hairdo. But it's just, like, so, like, someone was like, okay, this is Jesus's wig, and whoever got Jesus' wig was like, oh my god, combing it, like, I gotta make this perfect. Can you look up real quick who played Jesus in this movie? Yeah. Yeah, they blacked him out for a frame. I think what they're trying to do is give you this um, shadow was on his face because the angle of the bottom half of the shadow was meant to match where the sun was coming from. But it just looked bad. and Just put a pole there and have just like a random thing to cast a shadow on him. Or like a Roman spear. Here's the dude. Uh, it's Claude Heater. He just died last year. This dude doesn't look like a Christ-like figure to me, so... Who's uncredited? Yeah. I guess because you don't see his face. I mean, yeah. Dude, okay, can I just talk about the extras in this movie, too, real quick, while while we say we don't care about him? Because, like, one of the opening shots, like, where you see the town or whatever... Like, thousands, the the magnitude of of extras is something I feel like... I don't even see, like, like nowadays. I was thinking the same thing, because you can just CG a bunch of, yeah, like, yeah, faceless yeah. nobodies. Like, the ex... I feel like that helps make the movie come alive so much more, yeah. is having real people. Like, the chariot scene, with the actual crowd around it. Yeah. It's, like, incredible. And then you watch, like, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, and I saw that it's just, uh, like, Q-tips with wind blowing. Oh, my God. It's just, just get real people. The Sermon on the Mount scene, where all these people are converging on this hill, looked incredible. Like, extras are so underutilized now because it's just cheaper to go without them. A facet of that is that when you're, I guess, kind of planning out the movie and you think, like, oh, we're just going, we are going to use CGI before the fact, then you're going to plan shots and background scenes and stuff in the back with CGI in mind. How do you most easily do that? Okay, here's Gotham City in Dark Knight Rises. Here's the Here's the football field. And we're just going to make sure everything happens in these cornered off crowd scenes here. You know, we're not going to actually see from the from afar these characters moving. Whereas here in Ben-Hur, you have these characters moving in lines. You know, we see the army marching in. You know, we, we, we see them walking onto the Sermon on the Mount. Like we see them do things and it's way more alive. And that's so much more real for the film i mean it just so much more enrapturing you get to feel the sense of power that oh there's this rabbi afar off who's gonna really bring people there rather than (laughs) here's your cgi crowd scene that's one of the things i think i like most about epics is that they actually hired like hundreds thousands of people to be in these movies usually looking more like ethnically correct than like the actors (laughs) which is so goofy to think about as good as charlton heston was the whole time like oh look at this Fair skinned, blue eyed. Yeah, they couldn't even just do like brown eyes. They really had <laughs> yeah, a. Yeah, you know, it's like. He did really good though. That's probably more of a technicolor thing because you can notice that with anything that he was a part of, they really try to play up 
uh, reds, blues, and yellows. So like his horses, his horses had blue, and his eyes are blue, and then his skin tone's yellow, and they have like a yellow gold on his horses. And uh, so he really, they're, it's probably a bit more of a technicolor thing. Like, oh, you, your main character better have blue eyes because it's going to be hard to light. It's going to be hard to colorize with his uh, with his brown eyes. It's not going to play well. And then they're like, okay. But back to Jesus. I was kind of uh <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Our God is in us. Oh, my God. <laughs> I really like the choice to not show his face. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate that for that one scene with Pontius in the foreground that it's this black smudge on screen to black out Jesus' front, even though he's far off, but still, I mean, come on. But in general, I like that they didn't show him. And I thought it was kind of, like, it's kind of corny in the sense, like, when they reveal Jesus for the first time and you see his, the back of his head, and it's like, is this moment like, oh, I know, that's Jesus. But then in, in the back of my head, I'm se- kind of second guessing, like, I, I know why I think it's Jesus, because he's got this, like, curled hair that I see in every grandma or senior living home center, like, where they have a, a portrait of Jesus. I he know always, why. He always has, like, beautiful eyelashes in beautiful those portraits. Beautiful eyelashes, beautiful chiseled jawline. To me, that's a little funny. Like, it's a little, uh, I should, you know, really the guy probably would have looked probably did have long hair, but I don't know if it'd be, like, that auburn brown. Yeah, everyone else's hair you see in the backgrounds, all the background characters, they have that kind of curly hair kind of thing. It'd be more like that, but whatever. I just, I like the choice to not show his face. I think it was powerful for what it was. The, the way they revealed Jesus and the way that they utilized him for the limited moments that you do see him. And I think it was... Done really well. Gives him a larger than life, godlike feeling. It's like we're not worthy enough to see his face, and you you get the sense of that by people's reactions to seeing his face. Even the Roman guard, when Jesus goes and gives Ben her water, the Roman guard is like, "Hey, I said not to," and then Jesus stands up, and the guard like just loses it. I really like the parallel of Jesus giving Ben her water in the beginning, and then Ben her trying to do the same thing in the crucifixion scene. That was probably my favorite part of the movie. Do you know if um the Ben Hur story, like where does that come from? Because I'm wondering if like you know there there are several gospels that are kind of rejected by the Nicene Council, so like they don't they're not canonical. Who's the Nicene Council? Well, that was back in like 300. Yeah, <laughs> that was like 380. All dead. They're put together by Constantine. He was an emperor. He went into battle, saw a cross in the sky, converted to whatever the form of Christianity was at the time, brought it back to Rome, and that's why Rome is the seat of um, the Catholic Church today. He realized that there were so many different Christian communities that he like, all right, we're going to have a big council in Nicaea, and we're going to figure out which books are canonical, which books are not. We're going to figure out all these different things. And uh, some Gospels didn't make the cut. (laughs) This is historical fiction. But like written by who? Is this like a book in 1900s? 1880s. Nice. nice. So it's a book. Turns into several movies. Uh, four movies, yes. He, uh, there was a silent short film about this. Then there was a full-length silent film. Then this film came out. And then they remade it in 2016. And I heard it was garbage. You can't, you can't like make this move. You make this movie in the 50s. And it's this grand scope thing because you're really pushing the limits of filmmaking. And then in 2016, when you have like everything being spoon fed to you and you're like, I'm going to try making this again with CGI this time. It's less impressive. It's not as big of a thing. And also, I don't think the filmmakers were probably very good. (laughs) It was the same director as Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. (laughs) What? They booked him for that? Yeah. Yeah. That guy's agent must be like incredible. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I really like about this film 
and kind of the films of this era is that I mean, that meme you probably saw was like there was this era of grand movies like this is how I I am a Christian filmmaker. This is how I honor God. I'm going to make this giant scope epic about the Ten Commandments and the life of Jesus and you know even up to Scorsese making the Last Temptation of Christ. But then um then then of course we have this just current era of really bad Christian movies that are basically atheists were mean to me and at least for for me like I I had to write a paper on this so I kind of know that most of the films of this era come from I guess this one church that like decided we're gonna fund a bunch of movies and so they made like uh, fireproof and war room and something like that it's more of a reflection of the the culture war through the lens of these kind of evangelical Christians in America rather than I, I don't know if I could say it'd be different, like as if the filmmakers for this movie, Ben Hur, weren't also talking about certain things and through their lens. But yeah, it, it's less about that and more of um, Ben Hur is more of an interpretation of kind of biblical stories in a way. But yeah, just uh, this current era of really bad Christian movies. Uh, I know my friend Zuri loves to rag on uh, current Christian movies. I mean, who doesn't? You know, they they're bad. <laughs> It's just like that person that you love to make fun of. Yeah, Those are know. bad Christian movies. Nicole, I want to hear more thoughts from you about, about this movie. You don't normally watch large epics. You also don't like to go too far out of your comfort zone, you know, because I know that's a thing. I don't watch anything new <laughs> except fake fan stuff. So I'm kind of wondering from your uh, fresh, fresh perspective, what do you think about Ben-Hur? I feel like you almost have to just not know what happens in these movies. Like, you just have to go in blind. Because I feel like you could read, like... It's a tale of Christ. Mm, okay, kind of interesting. And then it's like in Rome, and then he does this, 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 this. And you're like, for three and a half hours? <laughs> it also helps to have it on a big screen, I guess. Yeah, a little surround sound. Yeah, make sure make sure like your setup is good. Oh, yeah. What are our tips for other people to sit down and watch oh, okay. a big classic epic like this? These are harder because I'm I'm a seasoned film watcher. And even, like, I don't want to sit down for a three-and-a-half-hour movie. Like, I'm sitting through this movie. I'm like, wow, this is really good. I'm probably never going to watch this again. <laughs> and, like, I don't have a lot of tips except to just sit down and do it. The bigger screen you can get, the better. That's what I always hear about Lawrence of Arabia. I've seen Lawrence of Arabia, and we'll get to this in a couple weeks, but I don't remember shit about it because I watched it on my living room TV. So if you can get the biggest screen possible, get the mo- the best sound that you can, it'll really heighten the experience a lot like with these movies too because like just said you'll probably want to watch it again so like pay attention because i think any old movie you have to pay attention like this is kind of the time i feel like where they start to use like more color and like more interesting things that you can just watch but you're still in that time of you have to pay attention because the words actually mean something it's not just like a catchphrase like it's moving the story along yeah, really get in the because calvin and i talked about this in intermission like really get into a mindset of okay I'm about to watch a four-hour movie. I'm going to sit down and watch a four-hour movie. Get into that mindset, because Calvin and I were like, holy shit, we're only halfway done with this. There's like three, there's like two and a half hours left. <laughs> so just be in a mindset. Maybe if you want to really like test yourself, test your patience, maybe watch a more recent super long movie. I always think of the Lord of the Rings movies as like good modern epics to watch, because those are paced really well, because they're only 20 years old do you guys think that ben Hur specifically was worth the time worth the three and a half hours 
Um, yeah, because I feel like a lot of the revenge stuff is was kind of like a slow burn. And I feel like it makes you kind of like then appreciate when the chariot scene happens. And I almost wonder if they did that on purpose because they're like, this shit is going to be fire. So they're like, we got to really build this up. And it was worth it. For me, I think it was worth it. I think you have to be the kind of person that would appreciate a movie like this. You have to appreciate filmmaking as a medium. You have to appreciate filmmaking history. But if this is your kind of thing, if you're really into like big biblical Roman era epics, I think this would be good for you. It really depends on the person. I think it would be worth it for people who can embrace a story that takes this long to tell. But yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I don't know if I'll ever watch again. Maybe maybe if I do get the motivation to watch as many Easter movies as possible. Temptation, Last Temptation, Passion, and Ben-Hur. That'd be uh that'd be a fun time, but uh otherwise, yeah, probably not gonna I wouldn't I wouldn't also force anyone else to watch it with me because I know it would be so long. I think too, you could get away with splitting in half an intermission. Like if you really just wanted to like experience it but you know you have like the attention span of like a bug, like you could split at intermission. That's a great idea, because these movies do have intermissions, or if you you could probably even split it further than that. If you get to a scene and you're like, okay, this is a good amount that I... Like, treat it like you're watching this in high school. You only have one hour to watch part of a movie, get to a good stopping point, and be like, okay, I need a break. I'm going to walk away for a little bit. And then keep watching it. That's, that's a really good way if you want to get into these three-hour movies. That's a great idea, Nicole. I love that idea. I guess I kind of disagree a little bit. I kind of think for this Ben-Hur movie, you should see it all in one sitting. If you have the right mindset to watch this movie... And you should have the right mindset to sit down and watch the whole thing in one sitting and kind of treat it like it how it was made. It was supposed to be like this big uh, epic that you go to a theater and you spend your evening there and watch it and enjoy it in its fullest. You know, the music, the overture, the uh, the end of the first act, the opening of the second act. Uh, it's grand scale and you just kind of consume it all at once, I think. Uh, if you are going to watch this movie, then watch it all at once. If you're not in the mood, then don't watch it at all, I kind of think, for this one. I'm thinking about people with Marvel brain like me who have really bad attention spans when it comes to movies or only like want to watch an hour and a half movie. I would say for this movie, like I like the idea of getting to a good stopping point and being like, okay, this scene's a good place to end. But if you can make it to intermission... I feel like that's the best place to take a break. Right, because it ends on Marisalis and um, Ben-Hur, like, being like, all right, I'll see you at the chariot race. It ends like a good, like, come back next time for Ben-Hur part two, you know? Yeah, like, like, it makes you, like, excited. Like, I could see myself watching and be like, oh, I actually, like, I need to watch the next part so that I can see the chariot race. Yeah. Like, I want to see that part. Well, yeah, because, you know, if I sit down, I'm like, oh, Ben-Hur, and then I get through the first act, and I'm like, there was not a single chariot race in there. I want to watch part two now because I'm pissed that it wasn't in the first part. <laughs> like, there doesn't seem to be, like, a motivating factor to, like, keep watching if you, like, were to stop in the middle of the first part, yeah. I feel like. So, yeah, the intermission would be really good, like, yeah. On the next episode of Ben-Hur. Something I want to cut into the episode. I want to hear more about the guy who wrote this thing a union soldier in the civil war lou wallace it's kind of dope why how and why did he write this he cited one inspiration as a life-changing journey and talk with a colonel robert ingersoll a well-known agnostic and public speaker uh, the two men debated re religious ideology, and Wallace left the discussion realizing how little he knew about Christianity, so he became determined to research and write about the history of Christ. So it was a, 
I want to strengthen my faith by writing this book kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like learn, actually learn more about it. I can definitely feel that in this. It feels kind of like Ben-Hur's whole thing is like, I mean, he never really doubts. There are some moments where Charlton Heston physically shows maybe some doubt or despair, but Ben-Hur's whole thing is that like all these bad things happen, but he's always determined and he's always empowered by his faith in God to keep going. He says that when he's like, God would, I, I wouldn't have survived this three years on this boat if God didn't want me to kind of thing. That That's actually really, really enlightening. Cause yeah, I could see that if, if you are wanting to know more about this time frame and whatnot, you're, you just want to know like what it would feel like to be there. And then you start thinking of these characters like, Oh, what if you're this slave who's been thrown around the Roman empire how would that feel? And just kind of get a sense of all that stuff. I think that's really, that's really, that's really enlightening. Well, uh, that's probably going to wrap one of our longest episodes on on here. Any last thoughts on this? No. Any last thoughts about Ben-Hur? Good movie? Glad, glad you watched it's it? fun. I'm glad I watched I'm it. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. yeah. Again, not sure if I'm going to ever see it again, but yeah. I'm glad I watched it. Well, that about does it for this meeting. Tristan, you want to wrap us up? Thanks for joining this meeting of Fake Fans Anonymous. If you join us in the back and then you edit in a crash right here, okay, do that. Uh, oh my gosh, there's a horse-drawn carriage that just drove into the studio. Calvin, no! <laughs> and then Calvin dies again. <laughs> and then we do the Wilhelm scream. Yeah.